0: Hello,
1: and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World Podcast. Podcast where we speak to scintillating, tantalising, scrumptious, salty and peachy people from across the globe. People inspire people like you and me to make what we love a full-time job. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe, give us a five star view rating on Amazon or iTunes. Now, today's real gangster and awesome guest is a brilliant Dominic Anglim. He is a comedian and actor from Ireland. He is, as you say, maybe an, an Indiana Jones of our comedy time he's been to spain he's been to ireland he's been to new york he's been to london he he talks about how he got how he got into acting he talks about his experience of doing comedy gigs in music open mic nights which are a nightmare to perform to as being his first gigs he talks about well, we talk about some of the pitfalls of m Singh and some of the joys of m Singh we talk about the differences between the new york scene and perhaps the uk scene we talk about his experience in spain and how Effectively, how, through a very unique circumstance, he was able to master the language, and how, and how Spanish and English comedy work differently in terms of culture. Well, how Spanish comedy is different to former comedy in Western nations due to the culture and the structure of the language he's a very charming and adventurous guest and i think without further ado let's talk to dominic how are we doing
0: you good oh, i wasn't sure if you were coming so i just started talking i, I thought maybe it was just going to be me by myself <laughs> <laughs> i just started talking so you'll have the first you'll have the first beginning bit of just me waffling by myself
1: <laughs> okay no, that's that's fine i'm may add a bit of space to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> how's it going are you all right yeah not too bad and keeping well all things considering you yeah good man good man you're looking well jesus what's it been like four years i think so yeah and i'm dressed exactly the same as when i first met you <laughs> <laughs> uh what's it called i was we were in uh, some bar in um liverpool street and it was called the water poet the water poets
0: yeah 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 it was downstairs and i remember it was summer and it was so hot
1: oh yeah and it was a it was a pretty difficult gig and then what's it called i remember it was a bit of a challenge and i remember like yeah it was an interesting gig and that pub is amazing a packed,
0: i think it was just a packed house because it was so i mean i think we were having a heat wave in london at the time it just uh it just kind of added to the to, to, to the tension in the room
1: <laughs> maybe uh, but probably because i pretty much bombed as an mc though i think
0: <laughs> um i i mean as i remember i think you had 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 a few drinks so you you weren't actually bombing as bad as he thought you were, but because you were drunk, you thought you were bombing. Oh
1: right, <laughs> that must be yeah, probably. I don't know. It was it was it was all right, but it wasn't. It could have been yeah. It was it was an interesting one. I, I love doing comedy. I love yes. doing comedy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think doing stand up and emceeing though they're they're kind of t- different things in a way because I think with emceeing you gotta you got to be there for the audience. Whereas with stand-up, you know, you can just go on stage and do your jokes and then you can just get off the stage. Whereas if the audience aren't replying that you're an MC, you have to stay up there with them and be like, okay, you know. So it's, it's harder. I think being an MC is harder, you know.
1: And and it can also be... So I've, I've, I've been doing it for a while since we last met and I've actually become better at that than being an act. And so... It's, but the thing I find funny about it is that with an MCing, it's you don't necessarily need material. I mean, it helps, but, I mean, effectively your job is to, to be like a presenter, get everyone all warmed up for the other acts, exactly. and sometimes it can only take a little thing for the rest of the night. You don't really need to do much after that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, the good thing about being an MC is, as you say, you don't necessarily need material it's more about talking to the audience and it's more about, you know, if you could build that rapport in the initial, you know, 10, 10, 15 minutes before the first act comes on stage, then you can keep going back to that one thing, which you had a laugh with the audience about at the beginning. And that can yeah. be like a kind of a through joke.
1: Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. It's funny you said that because a couple of weeks ago I emceed and the first act did okay. And I, it wasn't quite smashing, but I found something with the audience. I don't know, I was talking about different things. I said, what kind of, um, what kind of things are you into, you know, I, I like yeah. a bit of what's it called swing roll and chicken. And yeah. like, sometimes I put a bit of ketchup or like barbecue sauce. Yeah. And then I was going like, Oh, you know, do you do this on your chips? I'm not, that's what I was doing, I was saying, um I like my chips with a bit of ketchup and mayonnaise yeah a burger sauce and then I was saying this and that and then um I was saying it to this one lady she says why not a bit of salt to one of the audience members and then they went on and on and then I said you know a bit of peri-, peri sauce and some chicken wings and this and that yeah and then like people started laughing when I said that and then um I started going on a bit of Nando's chicken wings and all that and then her- their friends were her friends were laughing and then I asked why and then she said oh because she's a vegetarian
0: <laughs> oh nice nice so she was just totally joking like
1: no she, she it was she was proper true and it was the thing about that it doesn't sound funny when I say it, it's one of those things you'd have to be there yeah but once I said that bit there the, the night was, they're all relaxed and happy and engaged and ready to have a laugh. And I literally nice, nice. did not need to do anything for the rest of the evening.
0: That's, I mean, that's an absolute touch when that happens, I think. But I think, I, I think the secret I'm seeing is literally giving the audience an opportunity to express themselves. Because, you know, what, what can happen with a lot of comedians is they'll go on stage and they'll just talk. They won't necessarily ask any questions in their act. Which is fine, you know, and that can be really funny as well. But if the MC doesn't ask any questions either, and the MC just goes, "Oh, this is an opportunity for me to do my comedy as well," then the the audience can just feel like they haven't really been listened to, you know, and um, they just they just they're not they're going to give the comedians less attention.
1: I think one of the things that most comedians do is they start off with the strongest material, which is probably when they're sing and they then do a bit of crowd, which is probably the smarter thing to do.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, but I, I noticed it goes the other way where they just do all material with the sing as you said.
0: And yeah. I don't
1: know. It doesn't feel like emceeing if you're doing that. You're not really hosting it.
0: You're not really hosting. You're not really hosting. In fact, all you're doing is you're just another comedian. And like, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way, just another comedian, because obviously people have come out to see comedy, but um, I think improv is great for that, you know? Because uh, like, you, you know, when you're hosting an improv show or when you're starting off at an improv show, you know, the, the compare will literally go on stage and just go, this is an improv show. We need your suggestions to make this show work. After three, I want everyone to shout out their favorite fruit. One, two, three, let me hear you. And then people, the audience are just kind of going like, oh, what the, what, I don't know, I'm going to shout something out here. And maybe like three or four people will, will, will shout something out, the Larry people, you know, and everyone else will be quiet. And you you know you can, go, you can build from that and you can go on from that. And, and by, the, by the, the sixth or seventh request from the compare, all the audience is going to be shouting out so that when the first improv game starts, the audience is like, they want to be on stage, you know? And I think that's the type of audience that you want for a comedy show as well. You want to give people, who had a shit day? Let me hear you. Me! You know, who had a fucking good day? You know what I mean? You just give them a question and you give them an opportunity to shout. And that's yeah. why people go to comedy yeah. shows. They wanna let loose.
1: They wanna they wanna be it's like when people watch things like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. It's escapism.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And they wanna they wanna sit in a dark room and laugh. They don't wanna be judged for what they're laughing at, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. It's and it's funny you say that. Um <laughs> And what what do you think of being another comic though? <laughs> no, um, what's it? How would you say? Um, what would you say are the things that you need to do when you're getting on stage as a comic?
0: As a comic, I think you got to do crowd work. Even if the MC has done crowd work, I think you got to do a little bit of crowd work as well. Um, you know, not to the same degree. If you've had a good MC, then ideally the crowd is going to be warmed warmed up, and you don't necessarily need to chat to them too much. But I think it's important to have make it conversational. Like, do have some questions in there at the beginning so that the audience feels like, oh, he cares about like what I think on the subject, and it's not just him going, I hate apples. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah if if they if they if they think that you care, and you know, you want them to care as well because you want to actually know what they think. Otherwise, it's kind of like you feel like you could just be doing it in a room by yourself, you know?
1: A funny story. I am not see if you've actually had this. I found this one comedian who would think that he was doing really well and smashing a gig. Yeah. But what he used to do is he used to do this. And he didn't look at the audience. And then like he would come back and say, I smashed it. But, like, the room would be really quiet. I noticed that, and a lot of people leave during a set.
0: <laughs> oh God, delusional. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think comedy's a bit of a journey like that because I, I mean, I definitely had definitely had years when I started off where I was so bad. You know, I was going on stage, I was super confident, but I wasn't necessarily getting a lot of laughs. You know, <laughs> but I, I was having a great time. I was going up saying my stuff, coming off stage on cloud nine because I'd gone on stage and said my, you know, said my bit. You know. But um, I remember I was doing an open mic, it was a music open mic, but I was doing comedy at it. And the MC of the night, he basically just turned around to me one day in a pub and just said, sorry man, like, you know, you can't do any more comedy on, on the Thursday night. I said, why not? He said, oh, people have been complaining. <laughs> I was like, complaining? Said, yeah, 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 the people have been complaining. I was like, you know, that's, but in a way that's the kind of best feedback you can get because it's like, oh, okay. You're not funny, like you need to put some punch lines in it. You need to make comedy. You can't just go on stage and talk. Like that's not comedy. You know, you have to get A some punch lines and B you have to pause and give the audience an opportunity to laugh. Because if you just go on stage and talk, like you could just be standing in a bar talking to someone at a bar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, it's it's um no, yeah, comedy's comedy's a hard journey I mean so is all creative arts I mean I think from you, you yourself like you've you've done a few different sort of things haven't you and you sort of have a journey into acting and comedy as a whole
0: absolutely absolutely like I um I started off I mean I started off studying I studied theatre first when I uh when I well I, I did a I mean I did computers first but then I went in and I, I studied theatre when I was about 20 it was supposed to be a, a four-year course, but I did it for a year. I dropped out, um, and then I, yeah, I, I kind of went away from acting for a good few years. I worked in sales, various sales jobs, and then luckily, the company I was working for went bankrupt, and I I had been teaching, and then my buddy was like, "Oh yeah, you should, you know, you should you should audition because they were it was like a theater company and they were looking for um storytellers." to go into schools and do like interactive theater with kids. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, okay. And I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't been doing any, any theater for years, I had done like an amateur play, but hadn't really been doing anything for a long time. But my buddy basically said to the, to the, to the owner of the company, he said, look, he's really confident on stage. And that was, that kind of got me in the door um, with them. I messed up the audition, but then the guy saw me or he saw a video of me or something doing like an open mic. was like okay i'm gonna give him a chance and then yeah kind of got in there i did i was working then in theater then i did that for like seven years and it was i mean it was really really cool i learned so much about stage being funny on stage physical comedy like without even talking you know and but yeah i think i mean i I do I, i did love being on stage as an actor uh but i think i it was, it was all, I was always going to progress to doing kind of film stuff and things like that, because that was kind of where my, uh, my passion lay for when I was a kid, you know? I always wanted to go into, into film acting and, and into filmmaking as well. Um, and the comedy thing, I mean, I was doing, I, I started doing stand-up in 2010, and I kind of, I sucked at it. I really, really sucked at it for about two or three years. Like, I was terrible. Um, and then I went to the States, I went to New York in 2013, I think it was, 2012 I was in New York. And uh, I I just did loads of stand-up when I was there. And I bombed a lot, but I really started to learn why I was bombing. And I was really starting to realize how to bomb good. (laughs) Like (laughs) how I could bomb but still get laughs. And that was, I mean, it was a massive learning. I, especially like places like the pit in New York where, you know, you wait for like three hours, three hours for two minutes of stage time. So imagine like you're sitting there for three hours and then at the very end you get two minutes and you go on stage. You can't go on stage and tell a long story in two minutes because the audience, the audience has got to be laughing within the first 30 seconds. Otherwise you've lost them, you know? And um, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was just a massive learning curve. And when I got back from the States, that was when I decided to start putting on my own nights and start hosting. And actually hosting really kind of made me as a comic, you know, it gave me, it gave me the experience on stage and it gave me the confidence to, to yeah, to bomb, you know, it gave me the confidence to bomb and to bomb in style. So, you know, you don't get any laughs, but that's okay. You just talk to the audience. And then by talking to the audience you start to get laughs because you're engaging them and the more the more the audience feels listens to the more likely they are to laugh at your material because you've built rapport with them you know so yeah i mean it was a it was a massive learning curve and i i was really lucky in madrid because i knew i mean i i knew people because i had been on on the open mic scene for a few years before being terrible at comedy but being a kind of a constant on the scene, I kind of got to know some uh, some people who had bars and stuff, and started putting on my own nights. And then I think one of the first open mics I put on, <laughs> I, I somehow managed to get this nightclub that held like three hundred people. And uh, you know, having having been in New York, I was like, oh yeah, I'll charge comedians, you know, five euro to perform because that's what they were doing in New York. I put out the call. And uh yeah, like nobody came. I think five people came and they were all friends. And uh, there was no one else there. There was a staff of like twelve people working in the nightclub. There was five people there, you know, and that was the first and last time that I, you know, hosted in that venue.
1: <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> well, they still do that now. I mean it's 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 never I don't think I think even after COVID, New York and LA being the hotspots they are and yeah. America being uh you know, the UK, there is a bit of sort of sensibilities and a bit of hold back on certain forms of exploitation. But in America, there is no to and fro. There's no in between. It is a 100% capitalist.
0: Yeah. And I think as well in New York, like, because it's kind of like the mecca of comedy, New York. And then, of course, if you go all the way over to California, I mean, there is comedy in between, but these are kind of you know, these are like the kind of the main areas that people want to perform, so they really, they really start to charge. I'm sure, I'm sure people could do it in London as well, and probably, and probably get people performing. I mean, the good thing about charging is that I, I suppose that you do get a bit of a filter for the performance that you're going to get up. Um, and, but yeah, like it's, it's London kind of reminds me of New York in that you know what I love about London is you know you can go out and do comedy seven nights a week if you want you know if you if you can find the venues and you can get the i suppose you got to get in with people as well uh, there is options you know for seven nights a week to go out and do comedy like that's that's exciting as a comedian that's exciting you know even if it's just an open mic somewhere where there's like two people in the audience you're still getting your stage time you know
1: yeah that is i mean the thing, the thing, though, with London, one good thing is they run a lot of bringer gigs. Yeah. But none of them are really paid to play, per se. Yeah. There's none. They, they none. got rid of that. It's, it's, it's...
0: When did they get rid of it?
1: No, there was one with... Now, this is a sad story. <laughs> uh, but Lions your... Den Comedy Club.
0: Was that your nice?
1: No, no, no. I don't charge. <laughs> uh, but not yet. <laughs>
0: not yet, exactly. Why not?
1: No, um, what's it called? He he died, and then the oh. people that took over, decided to make it free. So that's okay. that's the story. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, yeah. So like as an MC, so what? Like later, I mean, I I've been, I am MC'd for a good few years, and and later when I was MCing, we started to kind of like put the filter up about who was going to perform. So we started offering coaching. So we, we would, we, if people wanted to do comedy, we'd be like, okay, yeah, cool, but we'll hear your set first and we'll give you some feedback on it and help you improve it. So that by the time they got on stage, you know, their, their set was a bit more polished. And therefore, you know, we brought the, you know, we brought the value of the night up so we could charge in and people were willing to pay because, you know, they knew that the quality of comedy was gonna be that bit higher rather than just an open mic. It was people who had been coached and people who had been, you know, and, 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 and through that, we started to build a scene in Madrid. And it, took, it took years. I mean, now the, the comedy scene in Madrid is really good. There's a lot of uh, English-language comedy nights on. Um, but, like, in 2013, there was no open mics for comedy. It was all music. Um, and uh, there, wasn't, there just wasn't that many people who wanted to do comedy, strangely enough. But I, I, yeah, there just wasn't that many people doing comedy. There were there were comedians, there were comedy nights, but they were closed. They weren't open, you know. Uh, there was um, a group called Freshly Freshly Comedy, and it, they're not running anymore. But they they were the kind of like English language comedy group in Madrid, and they they had a show that they did every week improv and stand up. But it was it was them, and they were a closed. Uh, team you know they weren't it wasn't an open mic so um, yeah so that I, I think that kind of like protected it kind of protected their show I guess uh, but it also didn't really feed the community it wasn't really creating a community of of performers Um, I remember I was hosting a night around the end of 2013 and there was a guy in the audience an American guy called um, uh, Ben Serio um, an actor from New York and he was in the audience and he came up to me after the show and he was like, oh, um, i was thinking of starting this improv group in, in Madrid and uh, we're looking for improvisers and maybe you can come along and stuff. Cause I had done a bit of improv in the show. And he, he started a group called Mad Improv. He started that in, in January, 2014. And that really was the kind of the beginning of a, of, of a bigger community of, of performers. Um, And that that's still going, you know, that's that's they still do nights and they still do classes. And I think. It's great. It's great when, uh, you know, it's great when nights kind of foster support and are willing to give people stage time and are willing to coach people, because that's when you're going to get a really kind of healthy scene, you know. Um, London is massive and it's got so many nights, but there's also so many classes, like there's so many comedy clubs that do classes as well and that kind of feeds the industry and keeps it keeps it thriving i think you know
1: yeah but it's also um so it also depends on who runs the course and where it's from because there is one particular company course that is a bit iffy really i will not mention who don't
0: mention it probably better off not to mention it but it's it's good to know that there there is an iffy one out there i guess
1: um, but most, I think, a lot of them, if you go in for a select purpose, aren't too bad. Like Logan Mo, I'll I'll just tell you the good ones.
0: Logan Murray is great. I did a course with Logan Murray in two thousand and fourteen, uh, a comedy writing course, and it was I mean it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah, he's he's incredible, and it was funny because I served him at Starbucks, and I said, "Are you Logan Moe And he said, "Why?" <laughs> 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 nice no. and then I said this and that and then he gave me some tips and then he just said take care
0: <laughs> yeah no he's a great guy great guy great teacher as well and um, his books I mean how to be a great stand-up pretty much Bible for me for a good few years on how to write jokes and just yeah just how to how to, how to be a better stand-up comedian you know
1: well I don't know how it how long it must have taken for him to understand it to that in depth a level and he's played a massive part, probably, in improving many of the stand-ups we see today. If it Definitely. wasn't for him, the Definitely. stand-up wouldn't be what it is now.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I know a lot of people that have done courses with him and, and, and are great comedians um, on the back of it, you know? Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it's, I mean, it's great. It's great when you have really good teachers. Um, I think Angel Comedy, I think they do some good courses as well, right?
1: Yeah, very good. Yeah, I, I can't recommend them enough. They're very good. Um, they, they also do a writing gym regularly as well.
0: Very cool. Um, but it's Yeah, it's a
1: great club. And then, yeah, there's lo- lo- loads of great courses in the UK. And one thing that I found very, very interesting is, I think I noticed that in Comedy Buddha, they had a few writing gyms and courses, but like the prices of all of them are like cas- catastrophically like double what you yeah. see in the places in London.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So are you talking about um uh, the Buddha comedy out in New York? Yeah. Yeah, so Buddha comedy um I mean they're a great institution as well. Um J- uh, I think his name is uh James Lawrence or Jeff no Jeff Lawrence, Jeff Lawrence. So he runs a lot of uh, he runs a lot of free comedy workshops as well though. So you can go in and you can do some free things. Like I did, I did some free comedy workshops with them. So they also offered like a promo codes uh, to join up with Comedy Wire. Are you familiar with uh, Comedy Wire?
1: Not precisely, no.
0: So Comedy Wire is, um, it's like a social media platform for comedians in the US. And it's, a, it's an online platform where comedians can, Write jokes about social things that are happening. So they put up, they put up comedy competitions. They put up um, various photos, news items, and then they just say, "Oh, you know, like write your best one line on this." And people, people write jokes on it. And, and when that, when that website started, they, you needed, you could only way you could get in would be if you had attended uh, comedy courses under these particular schools. Um, and they put up like a promo code. You could you could say that you had a, you had attended a but a comedy course. And that's how I got onto it. You know that's how I started writing for it. And um, I think it was around two thousand and fifteen. And the cool thing about writing for them is that they uh, they then are in contact like with like the late show, um, um, NBC, and they're they're in contact with a lot of uh, you know a lot of um, uh, commercials and stuff like that that are looking for comedy writers. So they're constantly putting up things where you can get paid writing work um, which is a really cool really really cool tool so yeah i know what you mean like I, I guess they are priced quite high but then again yeah the quality of what you're getting i suppose is, yeah, is quite process. good as well you know like they're industry industry standard and they're at industry level you know and they have the connections as well to connect you with bookers and and stuff like that for, for like maybe the Gotham Comedy Club and places like that or Broadway Comedy Club, you know, um, which are which are all very well established clubs in New York, you know.
1: Have you performed in any of them? On the I club?
0: have, I have. Yeah, I was very lucky. I, I got to perform. I performed in the basement of Gotham Comedy Club a few times. So they have the open mic downstairs, and then upstairs is for the the industry, uh, professionals. So I've, I've performed in the basement a good few times. I performed in the pit which was like baptism of fire. Like I I pretty much, I feel like I became a better comedian performing in the pit. and Broadway Comedy Club, I performed there a good few times. That's a pay-to-play place. So, uh, yeah, you pay $5 and the room is full of comedians. (laughs) So it's a very difficult audience, you know? Very difficult, because everyone's looking at their notes. No one's actually paying attention, you know?
1: (laughs) They really don't care. They're so bloody... um... Yeah, but the New Yorkers—they're just so cold and brutal, anyway.
0: They are, but uh, you know, I—I I was really expecting to get heckled and stuff out there, and I think I got heckled. I think I've been heckled more in London than I have in um, in uh, in New York. You know, in New York, they're literally—they're just not even paying attention to you. Like, they're just in their own, they're in their own world, looking at their notes. They always say if you can make if you can make comedians laugh, you're doing well, because you know, a comedian's just thinking about their own stuff about their own set you know they're not really paying attention to yours so you can engage with comedians and you're you're doing well
1: one thing i do want to say is i want to ask you three questions so one of the questions is um how did they react to your irish accent because every time i went over to the states they were mesmerized by my english accent and i was called an asian hugh grant
0: and
1: <laughs> two, um yeah how, how did you find it sort of being in Spain and and New York. And also one other question is how does the Spanish and English comedy scenes coagulate together in Madrid?
0: So yeah, so so when I went to New York initially, uh as I said I bombed a lot. I, I mean I was there for six weeks. The first three weeks I'd say I just bombed nearly every night. And I was doing comedy like seven nights a week. And sometimes I was doing comedy like twice a night. And I was just bombing, like, constantly bombing. And I I was like, do I need to change my material? I started writing a lot of one-liners then because they're all about the one-liners and, and less about stories. And I was always a storyteller, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, the accent thing was good. I mean, it was good in that they're definitely interested because they're like, oh, this is a different accent. You know, this is interesting. <laughs> <coughs> but then, yeah, but then... You know, you got to bring the funny with that as well. You, you can be interesting to a degree, but if you're not if you're not hitting them with a one liner straight away, they're just they're just gonna lose interest. So, um, yeah, I, as I say, I started writing one liners over there, which which really helped me to kind of you know get them on board and and start getting laughs earlier on in my set, which then helped if I wanted to tell a story, I just knew I had to tell a much shorter story and basically get to the punchline quicker. You know. And to answer your second question about comedy in Madrid and doing comedy in English, by the way, I did comedy in Spanish when I was out in New York as well. Um, Oh, because there was a lot, you know, there are a lot of Spanish speakers in New York. In fact, the area I was living in in Brooklyn, nobody spoke English. Everyone spoke Spanish. It was a Dominican Republic area and everyone was from Dominican Republic and no one spoke English. So that was kind of cool. You know, it was just going around speaking Spanish. And um, I actually managed I was able to get, like, really cheap fruit and veg when I spoke Spanish. I got, like, 50% off compared to when I spoke English. (laughs) It's a good thing to know about
1: They were like, oh, you're one of us.
0: Yeah, they just, like, I mean, I mean, they were just like, oh, this guy speaks Spanish, like, this is the price. Whereas if you're speaking English, you pay, like, twice. (laughs) It's just really funny, I think. Um, But, yeah, in Madrid, like, in Madrid, I think there's a really there's a really good uh, really good comedy scene in Madrid, Spanish comedy scene like the likes of uh, Jorge Segura. Um, uh, he he runs a night in um, in Baecas, by uh, Vallecas, uh the, the, the Vallecas, which is like a, kind of a little village on the outskirts of Madrid. really famous. and he runs an open night there. He also runs like the Madrid comedy Club They've got nights on in Madrid center as well. And so there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of brilliant uh, Spanish comedians who kind of just like keep the keep the whole um, keep the whole uh, comedy scene going, you know, uh, Fernando Fernando as well from Sevilla, a friend of mine's uh, uh, husband, and yeah, there's just loads of really really good Spanish comics. So the crossover between the English comedy scene and the Spanish comedy scene, kind of, it almost was inevitable. But at the same time, it it did take a little bit of time for Spanish audiences to start going to English comedy nights. And I think as well for for English speakers to start going to Spanish comedy nights. But it did happen. And uh, now you do get a lot of uh, Spanish comedians performing in English and uh, English-speaking comedians performing in Spanish, you know? And so there's a a good crossover there now. There's a lot of bilingual comedy events uh, that happen as well. Um, like in um, Teatro de los Aguas, uh, there's a, a great comedy night there as well. It's run by um, a New York comic. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of really good stuff going on there in Madrid at the moment. And the crossover has happened. I think initially it was slow to begin with, but these things take time. And then over the years, it just kind of got bigger and bigger, you know. And uh, if you go to Madrid now, like there's just a lot. There's a lot going on between improv, between English
1: comedy nights and between Spanish and improv comedy nights, yeah. How, so I want to ask you a, a technical um, question. What so When you're writing a joke in English and when you're performing on like, English and a Spanish show, yeah. how do you adjust an English joke for a Spanish audience?
0: Make it more visual, put more actions into it, like um spanish spanish humor is very visual it's slapstick they love slapstick comedy so if you want to make something funnier for a spanish audience put something visual in there you know a physical action behind what you're saying is going to get a, a much bigger laugh than just talking with no you know someone standing on a mic like this is never going to be as funny as someone who's like behind the mic doing all the actions, you know. Like they absolutely love the actions, and I, I think all audiences do actually. And it's definitely, definitely something that I apply to when I'm doing comedy for for any audience is, is to put actions in.
1: Why does it work? Why would you say you need to move more of a Spanish audience to perhaps an English one?
0: I don't think it's. I think it's just their type of humor, like if you look at a lot of the the Spanish t v shows and a lot of the um spanish comedians they're very they have a lot of physicality to their acts um so yeah, so I think it's just the culture you know it's just the type of the type of humor that's existed in spain and and that's why that's why it's you know it's it's needed um in my opinion, anyway. I mean, of course, there are comedians that don't do it and they're very funny as well, you know?
1: But this, the structure, but one thing that's hard, I find interesting about languages is like, it's not only do you have to know the words in that language, you have to understand the way it works, the structure of it. And so when you're telling a joke, I don't know, if you're telling, I don't know, a ridiculous joke, knock-knock joke, who's there? Or what kill, um, I like eggs because they're excellent. How would you deliver that in Spanish? And how would you have to alter the words and the structure and the way you deliver it?
0: Well, I mean, you'd have to change the pun for the start because, I mean, uh, for that example, for example, eggs are huevos. So (laughs) huevo. So you'd have to get a pun with huevo, you know? I mean, what pun could you have with huevo? Huevo, 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 (laughs) huevo. Huevo. It would have to be a Spanish pun. Do you know? <laughs> yeah, in English, fine. But if you're talking about a Spanish audience, you'd have to get a Spanish, a Spanish word, which also meant. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, to get the pun, like in in Spanish, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like they, I mean they, they really appreciate. They really appreciate when you go to the effort of doing something. Um, like I've got a, I had a, Spanish, a Spanish bit that I used to do about um, having a dog and being in, my, being in the park with, with my dog. And, uh, you know, when I had the dog, when I got the dog first, you know, my Spanish was so bad. But I, when I got the, jo- the dog first, I wanted to call the dog um, pe- Pepino. Pepino. Pepino means cucumber. Right. Okay. And, uh, but it turns out it's also slang for something else in Spanish, right, uh, so anyway, I was like, oh, pepino, pepino, but I, I, I like when they shorten the words, when they shorten the words, it's like, it would be pepinito, pepinito, which would be a little cucumber, right, now, I'll just leave that to your imagination, I don't think we need to say what it is, but it was slang, anyway, it was slang for something, right, and I didn't know that, and so, but luckily, like, like right before, right before we were naming my dog, you know my my girlfriend at the time she was like I don't I don't like this name let's go with a different name so I was like all right then so we went with a different name we we ended up by like, calling her Madra which was a, a Gaelic word which which just means dog so we called her dog dog but um I was imagining the scene you know of being in a park and being like pepinito Pepinito Beniki pepinito aquí. and like um you know like uh, just all these like um Men just looking, looking over, uh, and you know that for them that's funny because you've got the slang of the pepinito. It's like it's a funny thing for them to, to have someone in a park shouting out pepinito because in Spanish pepinito is a slang for something else. So, to, for me, just to shout out that word in a park, calling my dog, that's funny to them because they, they've taken this, this word which has an, alter, uh, an alternative meaning, and that's funny. For them now for you and i i'm just shouting out a, a spanish word it's not funny and even if i was standing in a park going little cucumber little cucumber come here little cucumber even that's not funny because we're just like a oh, little cucumber okay a little cucumber but for them it is funny because it's it's slang
1: okay so let me write this down and what <laughs> Peppinito,
0: so,
1: or peppino. Now, peppino. Now
0: means cucumber. I don't know. I don't know if you've if you've gathered what it's lying for, but yes, I, I understood. Good, slightly. good, good. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to say it. Let's we'll keep it PG. Uh,
1: <laughs> let's keep it PG. If you're not from Spain or Madrid or stuff like that, yeah, what advice would you give to someone that's like? trying to do a gig in Spanish and trying to like if they don't know the language and they need to understand the culture and they want to get themselves
0: I would I mean I would yeah, definitely I would take just take a take a set that you're really comfortable with in English and speak with a Spanish person and, and get it translated properly and um, you know to the way people actually speak um you know get it translated properly and then once you have it translated Work out ways that you can put actions into it. Work out ways that you can do maybe do impressions or do do some sort of physicality with it. and that will um, you know that will uh, will age you massively for when you for when you go to do it. And then when you do want to go do it, you know just uh, talk to me and I'll definitely be able to connect you with some with some spanish some Spanish uh, places that you can perform in you know.
1: One thing you may not think of, but I was just, one thing I thought that might be quite interesting in some of these gigs. If you don't know the language, first of all, and you go up and you just go and head and do it and go on stage. Then I want to I'm not I'm not going to try it in Spain, but I want to I want to. Tr- yeah, It's something I want to try out, because I'm sure if you do comedy in a language you don't know. Yeah, there's going to be funny bits in it. No matter what, like you're gonna stumble on. There could be,
0: there could be. I mean, Eddie Izzard did did uh, stand up comedy in Spanish. You know, he did a set in Spanish. Um, he did take out notes on stage, which was, I mean, it, it, I didn't think that was funny. But you know, the audience, I don't know. It, it was funny. I mean, it was funny in that he was making an effort to do it in Spanish but it would have been funnier if it was just him doing comedy in English, I think, you know, but I mean, fair play to him. His, his, his stuff that he does in French is brilliant, you know? And I'm sure yeah. he just was like, Hey, I want to do it in Spanish as well. You know? Um, and it was, I mean, it was funny and, and people did laugh and stuff. It was good. Like, Um, but I think for the Spanish, they were just kind of going, well, this is really basic Spanish. You know, we want to, you know, We want to. We want to hear something more advanced, or I don't know. That that was just my opinion, but I mean, it was it was it was pretty successful. So,
1: (laughs) I would. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing with him. He's. I mean, he is a remarkable man, but yeah, remarkable man.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I've not seen I'm not I know there must be loads of comedians doing comedy in different languages but I've not it's not really advertised that much and I don't see it that often where comedians do it in languages and I want to see
0: Yeah I think it's really I think it's a really good idea to give it a go in another language like it's fun it's definitely fun if you can um if you can get if you can get it down where you're not making any grammatic grammatical mistakes I think that's good because then the audience, they're really gonna like appreciate like that you made the effort. And then on top of that, if you could be funny, it's like, yeah, you know, this is this is good, this is decent, like, you know. Um and Eddie Israel did that, like he 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 had a really good set and it was funny. And I think when he took notes out, I think he was it was a joke. It was like, Oh, I need to look at my notes. But I think it was a joke. He was playing up to the thing of like when people take out notes on stage, you know, which is not yeah. funny. But it, it was funny when he did it, you know, because it was like
1: yeah, I know what you mean. I think when the comedian takes notes on stage, I feel that it's a bit of a disrespect oh, to the room straight away.
0: Yeah. I just, it just really gets yeah. under my skin, and I just think it's like, you know, if someone, and I feel there's so many nights. And when I used to, when I used to host nights, I used to always say to the comics, just learn your set off by heart. Just learn it off by heart, because that's for me. That's comedy. Like if you go on stage and you forget your stuff that's what happens you forgot your bit and then you just get off and when you get off stage you're like i forgot that whole bit but that's that's live comedy like when you go on stage if someone goes on stage and they take out their phone just go go home like i don't want to see your phone on stage the audience doesn't want to see it either you know Uh, you do get people laughing and stuff but i don't know i feel like it's i feel like they're laughing out of kind of like embarrassment for the comedian that like like why why did you even go on stage if you had to yeah. take your notes with you you're not ready if you're having your notes you're not ready you know
1: you know what yeah i think that's true i think cuz it's already you're disrespecting the audience and most like are we not good enough to for you to do your best stuff and if if you if you go in there i think maybe also what would be funnier if you forgot your stuff
0: that is funnier that is funnier We're, and that's what always happens people do forget their stuff all the time and they have to wing it They have to improvise and they do something and the stuff they improvise is not funny. (laughs) And then they're like, in their head, they're like, damn it, I had this whole bit, but they can't show that to the audience. The audience, you know, the only thing that they can show to the audience, in my opinion, is the act. That's what you should be showing your audience is your act. You know, um, I mean, it's it's such a difficult subject to talk about because I think there's a lot of comedians who go on stage with a notebook and put it on a stool and go, okay and doesn't start reading and then they'll be like okay that this is another little bit and i I know that a lot of comedians do that and they think it's fully acceptable but i don't know i just um i just don't i just disagree with it it's
1: it's a funny thing yes and one thing i noticed in a lot of comedians so i had a gig a couple weeks ago and one of the things for the night so maybe you do it as well yeah one th- he didn't necessarily do that well with the emceeing thing and like the thing i'm finding it difficult is sometimes you it's difficult to give feedback and tell them what they're doing wrong because people don't always take well to it of course so what i'm going to do for the next gig next time i see him is i'll speak to him after the gig and tell him what he did wrong for the gig before so it's easy if i tell him before he may yeah. get tense or a bit stressed but so simple things he did was when he's talking to someone on stage in the emceeing the times he's done well There was lively audience up for it, but you're not always going to get that. Sometimes you're going to get people that are a bit timid. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How to engage with them? Yeah. So as you said, you ask a question, you ask them to say, "Anyone been here?" And the ones that go are the ones that want to talk.
0: Yeah. And by
1: by addressing the room and asking a question, it makes them more likely to answer rather than being singled out.
0: Definitely, definitely.
1: But what he did, he didn't really do much of that. He would ask a question. So for example, if I'm saying, oh, Dominic, you're wearing a nice shirt, and then they walk away, but he didn't sort of like go into it. Oh, you're wearing a shirt. It reminds me of when I did this or that, or this happened, oh my God. And then you build something from it and it will happen. Uh, And then, yeah, he didn't do much of that. And then he got scared and nervous and he just carried on. But what Uh, what he could have done maybe was when he was nervous and a bit off put, maybe get some fresh air, sit down for a bit, then come back in the room, then think of something. And if that doesn't yeah. work, go back, think of something. But what he did was he just and it just boom. And then what I noticed of the comedians on top of that, what they did was, I just need to get my material out. I'm not here to make you laugh. Yeah. But the whole point is you make them laugh. Like, if you're not making them laughing, even if you've written the best joke and they're not with you, it's not going to work. Yeah. a lot of them didn't see it like that they just as you said looking through the notes and yeah and it's a bit like whenever you're performing it's not about you it's about the people watching
0: exactly no matter what level
1: open mic low whatever you should be doing it to make the people laugh and enjoy it because it's the best feeling in the world when you perform on stage and you entertain them if you're not doing it for that reason why are you doing it
0: yeah no i agree i agree i think um it's a big responsibility to Get on the microphone and talk, because you're demanding people's attention. And if people give you their attention, people are like, "Okay, I'm going to listen to you for the next, you know, five minutes or seven minutes, you know, or 15 minutes or whatever it is." That's a huge responsibility. So, you know, if you're going to get on the mic and you're not going to be prepared, are you going to take out notes? Are you going to, you know, not care about what the audience? whether or not the audience is engaged or not. um, yeah, I just think it's kind of a waste. It's just a waste. And it's also, it's also kind of insulting for the audience. Like I've sat in so many comedy gigs, so many comedy gigs, where there's been no respect shown to the audience or there's been no engagement with the audience. And it's just so, it's so hard. It's so, it's painful to be in there. You kind of, you don't even really want to laugh because you start to feel a little bit of, a little bit of content for the, for, the, for the person on stage, because you're just like, you know what? You don't care about me. Why should I care about you? And that's, that's, not, a, a not, that's not the type of um, uh, vibe that you really want to have in the room. A really great room that I performed in earlier this year was the uh, comedy versions in the Cavendish Arms. And the MC there was so good, because what he did was he did a really clever thing of basically saying to the audience at the beginning of the show, you know, this is going to be a great show. I'm going to get you really riled up. You're going to have an opportunity to scream and shout throughout the show. And everyone that goes on stage, even if they aren't that very good, you're still going to give them really big applaud and, and give them some support, you know? Um, and that's what happened. Like, everyone that went on stage got got laughs because the material was good. But also, when they were coming off stage, they got a big applaud. They got a big applaud when they were going on stage, when they are going off stage. And the MC, he did such a good job because he he gave the audience an opportunity to scream and shout. He'd be like, "Are you having a good time?" People would be like, "Yeah." He'd be like, "No, no, no, no." Are you having a good time? Like stuff like that. It's such a basic thing, but it's just a, it's just checking in with the audience after each comic, and having a little bit of having a little bit of buzz with the audience. You know, like there has to be there's got to be a game, or there has to be you know, some sort of like true joke that happens, which is like, you know, you have the, the 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 comedians on stage doing their bit and then you're on stage doing your bit as the MC. But then there's this other bit, which is the audience. And that's, you know, that's their thing. So it's like, maybe you do a Mexican wave and you're like, okay, let's do the Mexican wave. Whoa! oh, that was good over there. Oh, you know, and you have this thing with them and, and you do it and you go back to it. And it's kind of like, You know, you reward them. You you give them encouragement. Yeah, you're a great audience. Or you know, um, oh yeah, oh this side is getting better. This side is get. Oh, this side over here. You know what I mean? So you're you're engaging. And um,
1: ah yeah, playing game. Without
0: that, without that, without that game, whatever the game is, without the game, the audience is going to be flat, and they're going to be bored, and they're going to. in my experience they're going to feel a little bit of contempt and a little bit of anger towards the night because they didn't get to express themselves you know they didn't feel listened to and they didn't yeah. they weren't respected you know they really weren't respected so that's why it's so important i mean i was talking to a venue recently and i was saying like they were saying that they were going to be having this night and i was like yeah that's great like but you need an mc like you need an mc for the night and they were saying well you know you know, we don't necessarily need one because like the comedians can introduce each other and then we'll have music. And I was like, yeah, but no, you need an MC because the MC brings the whole thing together and makes it into a night. Even if it's a quiet night in the beginning and you're not charging in, if someone goes out to that, they want to feel like it's a show. And they'll feel like it's a show if there's an MC. If there's no MC, it just it's very kind of flat. There's no like, um, there's no real start and end to it, you know. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just it's very casual and it's, I don't know. I mean, it just it could just be anybody sitting in a room together, rather than it being a show, you know. Um, yeah. I suppose it depends on the type of night that you want to create as well
1: yes yes of course i think um yeah of course but i think it, it's yeah you got. may I ask um, what what was the name of the mc because i probably know
0: who what mc
1: for cavendish was it was smith
0: oh it was um i can't call dave i think i think he he said his wife owned the place
1: oh okay
0: yeah 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 really really good mc i was very impressed Probably, probably one of the one of the best MCs I've seen so far in London. I have to say, it was, was really, really good. I liked your bit. I liked your magic bit that you were doing. That's got that's got potential, you know. I'd say I'd say you've probably built on that. Have you? Uh, well,
1: it's it's a bit sort of Tommy Cooperish, and yeah, like the, that's good. I'm not, I'm not Tommy Cooper, so it's 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 not the one thing. It's just something that happened across. So there's there's a lot of other things that I'm building around it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's good. But that's good because that's a little game. That's a little thing, you know, yeah. and that's that's what's good about it.
1: I do find that, yes, when, I, when I've when i done magic before at a gig or any time when I host or when I go on, when you do a bit of magic, it brings a bit of energy to the room.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I think one of the... Th- it's, it's a good thing that you mentioned that because... Um, one thing, the comedy Charms is a great gear, good for new material, but the only thing bad about it is it goes on too long. And okay. a show, I think an hour or an hour and a half is the amount of time you should put on a show for. Because if yeah. it goes past that point, comedians are tired and you audience yeah.
0: tired. I think an hour is golden. If you can do an hour, that's yeah. golden. You know, you give people like three-minute set or a four-minute set, and that's good material. Like if someone could go on stage and do three minutes of good material, like that's that's fast. And I, I mean I love I love when um, I love when the comedian gets off the stage and the audience is like they want more. They want more of that comedian. That's the best. Because you know, if someone stays on stage for too long, if they do like a seven minute set, for example, they might have like four and a half, five minutes of really good material. Maybe they might, the last two minutes might lag. Hmm. You know, they might get their high. They might get their high at five minutes. In another way, it'd be a cool idea, I think, to do a show where, you know, you, uh, the MC judges by the laughter when that person's set is over. So, like, if someone gets a really big laugh, <laughs> and that's that comedian, let's get him off, you know. Let's get him round of the Okay, who do we have next? Okay, boom, someone comes up and says, they do the bit. They do the bit. They do the bit. They get a really big laugh, and that's that person when we get them up. Do you know what I mean? And I think that could be like a pretty cool idea for a show because uh, it could. It would definitely keep the energy up, and it would. Um, yeah, it would make people. I don't know. It would. It would definitely make the comedians be on their toes. You know.
1: It's similar to a gong show, but that's gong shows are good, but they're bloody hard, and yeah. it depends on what type of comedian you are. If you're you're a straight one liner kind of comic, then it's gonna be difficult. Yeah. And if you're not one of those. It's if you're not you if said, you're not a one liner. Yeah, like yeah. thirty seconds or ten seconds, you've got to have them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose. But if you did it if you did it by the laughs, then you know you wouldn't necessarily be uh, capping them at a time. You'd be capping them at the laugh instead, you know?
1: It's an idea. Give it a go. See what happens. I, I mean, think
0: I will give it a go. A I think thing. I will give it a go. I'm I'm gonna gonna find a venue and start hosting a night pretty soon. Oh, I just need to plug my laptop in. Sorry. Thanks. Second. Yeah, I'm gonna gonna find a venue and uh, and start hosting again. Quite soon, I think. Good. Uh, it's time. It's time. Ooh. very it's all very well uh it's all very well talking about these things but what you really want to be doing is actually doing them so (laughs) it's it's been
1: a funny thing in a way because i found um hosting easy to get back into because i just see hosting as like you're just chatting to people and interacting with them whilst when you're doing a set i don't know just something about it puts a bit more pressure on it's like because i've not been doing it for six months the first two gigs i've done whoa they were bloody hard i had one of the first hardest bombs i've had in a while on thursday yeah. it's just yeah i, I felt it's just something yeah from the off and i mean it was good so, i've like, recovered from a, a about an hour later yeah and I of, like what things i could have done did like, you record I it i haven't yet listened to it but i'm going to record it as well and i'm going to listen
0: you, did you record your the set that you bombed on did you film yeah it yeah, our... yeah, 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 yeah yeah nice nice nice
1: and I want to take apart what went wrong. But, yeah, I think one of the things um, I think you pointed out on is that in comedy and MCing, the a lot of the times, not with moat, I think with a certain number, I think a lot of people don't consider performing side of things. And they, there's a lot of... Sometimes, yeah, it's a basic thing. You should be happy to be on stage and your job is to entertain. And when, but a lot of them don't often people some sometimes don't consider that they're just thinking of i'm gonna do this and that's it there's not more to it than that
0: yeah and i think you know as well it's, it's this whole thing of like you know if people go out to perform to do comedy as opposed to going out and getting paid to do comedy like if you're at a paid gig it's a different a different feeling you know if you're making money from it if it's your if you're actually making money from the gig then you're like, oh, I've got to make sure this is good stuff. I've got to make sure this is this is a material. Or if you're hosting and you're making, you've charged into a, a place and you're hosting and it's your show, you want to make sure that people have a good time because you know it's gotta it's gotta feel like they got value for their money. A so they enjoy the show, but also B so they tell their friends and they come back next week. You know, um. So that in that way, I think you have to. You have to be prepared to only get people on stage who you know are gonna, you know, um, fly that flag of, uh, of, of professionalism, you know, and, and, and do, do a good set and not gonna go on stage and um, take for granted those, uh, those minutes that you've given them, you know. Because the, the more time you can get on stage, as a comedian or as a performer is that's, that's, that's just worth It's, it's worth It's, it's what, uh, weight in gold. Cause I mean, every time you're on stage, you're learning.
1: Well, it's an interesting point you mentioned there, because I noticed with, uh, magicians and other performing arts, they get maybe an hour on stage at a paid gig. Yeah. Gig. But comedians, maybe 20 minutes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they better be good 20 minutes. I know some comedians that do magic and stuff like that um, as part of their set. And, uh, you know, it really, really works because the good thing about magic, as you say, is that you're creating this energy in the room. You're creating this energy. You can do jokes around it. Or then if you do your, if you do your set on the back of it, you know, um, you know, you've already got that energy there to play with. Something I've started doing, I mean, I've been doing it for a few years, is using, uh, using music on stage. like I, I play harmon- harmonica, and I like to do some harmonica in my act, and I find it's a great tool to create energy. As soon as I play some music, there's a bit of a buzz. It's like, oh, this is interesting, this is different, you know? Um, and you can work it into your jokes and everything, and it's, it's just something. It's, another, it's just another little element, you know? It's like Steve Martin going on stage with the arrow in his head hat, you know? It's just... It's just another little joke to have with the audience, you know.
1: One thing that I want to lead into, so like we're talking about Spanish and that, about that little joke and like New York. Um, how did you, how do you, did um, the Spanish take to you as a whole? What's the culture like over there as opposed to New York? How did the two cultures compare and how do they compare with London?
0: Well, I haven't done that much comedy in London since I've been here, to be honest, like I've only done, I've only done um, a few, I did a few gigs in January and February, and then we went into lockdown. So I haven't done that much here. And then, and then prior to, to when I moved over here last year, the last time I did, you know, comedy in London was probably 2016, I think, when I was uh, here for a few weeks, I did I did some gigs in London and I did a gig in, um, in Manchester. But... So I haven't done that much Spanish comedy here in London yet. I would like to do some. I, I think I probably will get into doing some. Um, but, uh, but the Spanish in, in New York, it was really well received. Really well received. And I did... I was in California two years ago. I toured California and I did a lot of uh, uh, comedy in Spanish out there. And that was really well-received as well. Um, they loved it, actually. You know, they loved it because there's a lot of, a lot of Mexicans in, in California. And, yeah, a lot of uh, South Americans in New York. There's a lot of Spanish-speaking people in, in the States. You know, it really yeah. is the second language over there. I'd say that and probably um, uh, Chinese or, or Vietnamese is probably one of the kind of, or, or even Korean as well really really widely spoken out in the states you know um, and i think when you can speak in another language in the states you really are uh, you're talking to you're talking to another part of america that isn't necessarily always talked to in a comedy set uh, but there are going to be people in the audience like i was doing a gig i did a gig in i did an open mic in hollywood at this place called haha ha comedy club and um, you know, went on stage. The room was full of comedians, right? It was a it was a seven seven p.m. show. I went on stage, and uh, you know, I said uh, I said oh, I started off my, my set in Spanish, and I said, "Oh, algen algen hablas es español." And there was a guy in the audience, and he was like, "See," sí. and I was like, "Ah, oh, don't don't understand." He was like, "Barcelona," and I was like, "Okay." And it was just cool, you know. It was like he wasn't from Barcelona, but he just he spoke a bit of Spanish, and we had this little bit of banter, and then that created a bit of a buzz for the rest of the uh, for the rest of my set you know Um, and uh, yeah like funny when I when I got back from the states I was doing a gig in Madrid at Teatro de los Aguas I was doing a a stand-up yours gig which they're they're not running them anymore but there are there is still English comedy in Teatro de los Aguas and I was doing a a set and I was talking about being in a uh, in a taxi and talking to the driver in Spanish (laughs) you know And then I got back to Madrid and I was doing my comedy set in English. So it's just the world, the world that we live in, you know, you go overseas and you speak Spanish, you come back to Spain and you speak English, you know, it's like, it's a a really big, a really big crossover, but um, it's kind of accepted now. Like, you know, you can, you can do, you can do comedy in English in Madrid. It's totally accepted. There's enough of a scene there to, to support it, you know?
1: So on top of that, um, how many languages do you speak? So, you can speak what well, I gathered from what you said before Irish, Gaelic, I speak Spanish,
0: a bit of, and English. little bit of Gaelic, a little bit of Gaelic. I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but I can definitely speak a little bit. I'm pretty, pretty near fluent in Spanish. Um, I can speak basic French, like very basic French. I, I used to be much better at speaking it because I, I did my Erasmus in, in France when I was 19. But I, um, of lost it because i wasn't really using it but i I still understand french and i can watch a film in french and and understand it quite well Uh, but speaking it would probably be a little bit less and uh, that's about it really i know a few words in german but um yeah that's about it really and obviously the old english
1: (laughs) but what? how did you how did you so i can't understand you could you say that again (laughs) (laughs) no um how did you um, how did you how did you find the process of learning Spanish and how did you get fluent in it?
0: Hard. I mean, I, so when I went to Spain, I, like I never, I did, I did French in school, and so when I went to Spain, I, Spanish was terrible. I was putting on all these accents and all the words, I was speaking Spanish with a French accent, which is the wrong thing to do. And then my my girlfriend at the time, she she actually studied Spanish when we were there so she got really good at it i still couldn't speak it i mean i I knew how to speak restaurant spanish and like you know how to speak spanish in a shop and stuff like that but i couldn't really speak it at all and for the first probably eight years i was there which is just embarrassing actually and then what happened was we split up with her and i started dating a girl from uh, mozambique Uh and she didn't speak english her first language was actually portuguese 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 as i say portuguese and but she spoke spanish so yeah we just spoke in spanish but my spanish was like it was pretty minimal when i started dating her and we dated for about three months and in those three months like my spanish just went just went right up you know and and by the end of the by the end of the time of dating her i could speak spanish pretty well which was good you know it was it was a good thing, a good thing that 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 came out of that relationship. Yeah, I'm still friends with her actually. I'm still friends with that with that girl. Nade is her name. We're we're still pretty good friends. So
1: this is bloody brilliant, mate Dominic. Because I, I want to know how did you go and approach her in a bar with like not knowing any Spanish? You say, señorita. You know what happened,
0: right? Do you know what happened. I split up. I split up with my ex, by the way, of of eleven years. So it was it was a, a big a big relationship to come out of. I think I was I was on a, a night out. We were we were in this uh, we're in this square called Plaza de Mayo, which is a really famous square in Madrid. Traditionally, what would happen is a lot of people would hang out there, play music, and um, and, and do batallón, which is where you can drink in the street. But more and more, that's become illegal now, and now it's like totally illegal. But it used to be that the the, the police would look the other way, and you could drink in the street and uh it would be a bit of a party atmosphere like people would just hang out in this little plaza this is a little square and just drink and play music like all night long like literally get hang out there you wouldn't even go to the pub you would literally get cans and just sit out because it would be you know it'd be so hot in Madrid you could stay it all night and uh so anyway I was out with a friend of mine and yeah I just I just saw her like sitting on a wall <laughs> I was quite ballsy I said to my friend I said oh like, I really liked that girl. And he was like, are you going to go talk to her? And I was like, okay. I went over to her, started talking to her in my broken Spanish. And she basically was kind of ignoring me. and was like, you know, not really interested. So then I started talking to her friend who spoke English. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, where he's from and everything. And so then she was kind of warming to me a bit more. And then I ended up just like walking with them. Like we were all, they were walking somewhere else. So me and my friend, her friend and her, we all just went for this walk kind of like around the city and I was talking to her friend and then I was kind of talking to her as well and but I was talking to her friend in English and then I was talking to her a little bit in my Spanish and then (laughs) at the at the end of it like they were going one way and we were going the other and I just was like hey you know can I get your number and she was like oh okay so she gave me her number and then we (laughs) we met up (laughs) we met up and had our first date about a week later and that date was probably the funniest thing in the world because yeah like she didn't she spoke a little bit of english but like very little and my spanish was just like zero you know so we just yeah we somehow we somehow communicated and yeah just kind of went from there it was it was quite a cool it's quite a cool little um little relationship actually yeah it was really really good it's really good time
1: how did you build up to it? Did you just go and Google Translate or something over text, and then, boom?
0: I used to use Google Translate for our text messages. Yeah, I used to use Google Translate for our text messages. And then, you know, once we started seeing each other, it was, you know, it was a uh, physical relationship. So we, you know, the words, the words came when they needed to come, and otherwise we <laughs> were just hanging out. You know, <laughs> it was a, a, a good, a good, good time. Good time. She was a she is a dancer and I am also, um, a dancer at heart. I mean, I love, da- I love to dance and I've been dancing for, for years. And oh. um, so, yeah, like I'm probably a bit of a closet dancer in a way. I, i have you know, taking some ballet classes and stuff like that. And I'm not a professional dancer by any means, but I do oh. love to dance. And so, yeah, she, me and her, like we would just go out and we would go dancing and we would, Danced the night away together. It was it was fantastic time, you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really good, really, really good, really, really good time. But she was so patient with me because she her Spanish was really, really good. And um, but oftentimes we'd be talking and she'd be like, she would say something and I would be like, oh, no, nintendo not elaborado. I, I don't understand that word. And then she'd say, oh, oh, that's that's because it's Portuguese. And I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> so she would, she would speak to me in Portuguese, and I'd be like, "Oh, what are you saying?" She'd be like, "Oh, I'm speaking Portuguese." Like, oh, okay, so I was probably learning a bit of Portuguese as well without even knowing it, you know?
1: <laughs> well, they're both very similar languages, aren't they? I hear because one of them says if they learn the other one, they often learn the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, she 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 said that she picked up Spanish like really quickly just from knowing Portuguese. I mean, she her Spanish like people always said to her, "Oh, your Spanish is so good. Like, where are you from?" And she'd be like, oh, "I'm." I'm from Mozambique, you know, but my, I, I, I just, I just know it because I know Portuguese. I don't know if ever I hear Portuguese, I'm all I can almost recognize it and stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, Portuguese Portuguese, Portuguese, and then sometimes I say to people, ah, Portuguese, and then they're like, yeah, and then they're like, oh, I'm i Portuguese, or what? I don't even know how you say. It. Do you speak Portuguese? But there's something like that, and I'll be like, no. <laughs> Hablo Espanol, pero no hablo Portuguese. But I can, <laughs> can kind of like, you know, talk a little bit. I think it's a little bit like Italian as well. People are, whenever I hear Italian speaking, I'm always, I can kind of understand them because I speak Spanish. But I'm, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of false friends as well where there's words that sound like one thing but actually mean something else, you know? So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't speak Italian, but I do, I can understand it kind of. <laughs> 'Cause I speak Spanish. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's quite
1: funny you've mentioned that you'd speak languages because I remember going to Dublin and one of the guys told me that the whole Irish law is written in Gaelic Irish. Mm. And there was a loophole in that law that allowed that that and then they just took drugs for a whole day or something. Something ridiculous.
0: Really? Oh, I didn't hear about that, but um yeah, it's definitely I mean Gaelic is uh, you know they're keeping Gaelic alive in Ireland. Like it's, there's a big movement to keep it alive. There's parts of Ireland, the talked where they only speak G- Gaelic, and um, it's. I think it's really important. I think it's really, really important that it is kept alive because, <coughs> excuse me, it's. You know, it's our national language. You know, and it's. It's originally we were, originally Gaelic. You know, we originally spoke Gaelic before we were invaded. You know, by Britain. You know.
1: Yeah. <coughs> But the Welshman, they've really kept it fantastic, haven't they?
0: They've kept it going. They've kept it going really well as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Good for them. Good for them. And, look, and then you got um you got the Manx as well. Manx on the Isle of Man. That's yeah. still going as well, I believe.
1: Yeah, that, and then you've got the French as well, Breton.
0: Yeah, what is that one?
1: I don't know. I just I remember I read some book on like Gaelic languages, and that came up
0: really okay i didn't know about that and then you've also got the corsican yeah as well but what but your your surname is mccarty is that scottish or is that irish yeah
1: so the the, the scottish way is ma but the irish way is mc yeah so i am the irish way
0: so your family are irish
1: my dad is english and irish That's so cool. his his um his so my dad's from liverpool yeah. Uh, my, and my grandmum was from English Liverpudlian. Yeah. Uh, but my um, grandfather was a first generation sort of second generation. Well, how would you say? Whatever. He, he was born in Liverpool, but his, his dad was Irish.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Do you know what part?
1: McCarthy's are from Cork, I think. I'm not sure. Cork. I don't okay. know. I don't know what region, but I know there's a isn't there a part of Ireland where there's a lot of McCarthy's?
0: There is, there is, yeah, definitely. But there's McCarthy's all over Ireland as well, you know?
1: I've not met many McCarthys. I I've I've spoken to a one or two and like, I said, Oh McCarthy and they're like, so what? And then I, spoke, <laughs> I had an Uber driver who had the same name as me. And then but in, in LA. Oh it
0: was Spanish, I
1: Marvin. I said, Oh, Marvin's a cool and he said, Yeah, you're right, like Marvin. And, and there's some Spanish American and. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, to be honest, I, I I've got a thing for Spanish women. I think they're gorgeous.
0: Hey, well you gotta I mean you gotta you gotta meet some then and, and, and date them, I guess.
1: That Spanish like women a...
0: are awesome. I mean they're the personalities of, of Spanish women are absolutely beautiful as well.
1: What do you mean by that? <laughs>
0: I just mean that I just mean that Spanish people are just lovely people. They're so warm so warm-hearted, so open, like their personalities are so open and just like, yeah, they're just very loving, very nice people, very good people. Spanish people are very, very good, very good. Such a warm, it's such a warm uh, country, you know? I think, um, yeah. I mean, I've only ever had positive experiences with Spanish people, you know? Only ever had positive, and I lived there for 15 years.
1: Bloody hell. That's why, yeah. that's why the English keep moving over there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I mean, the weather is one thing, but of course it's also just the, it's the energy there. It's the, the vibration there is high, you know, it's good, good feeling when you're there. The food is good. The, the party is good. You know, the feeling there, the people are just so warm and friendly. What's
1: so going on to that. So you love Spanish and you've had all these different experiences So, what what are you more sort of passionate about? Are you more passionate about performing or behind the camera? And what are you looking to do after Corona finishes? And also, where do you see yourself in five years' time? (laughs) No,
0: great question. These are great questions. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been really lucky. Like, I'm I feel really fortunate actually because any any time I've ever kind of decided to pursue something you know, in the arts, I've been lucky in that I've been able to make things happen. I've been lucky in that I've been able to um, collaborate with people to bring projects to life. And, uh, you know, when I kind of was done with theatre acting and started to focus on film acting, I was lucky in that I got some parts in some short films and then went on to produce some short films myself. Uh, and, and even direct um, a music video for a friend's band. So that was good fun. And then I, yeah, like, like, I don't know, in five years time, I definitely see myself still acting, but probably working in production as well. And um, like the last kind of, I suppose the last five years, I've been kind of moving more and more into production. I mean, I'm I just, just recently been working on a, um, a proof of concept trailer. For a sci-fi drama, and that we we shot that up in uh, up in Yorkshire. <clears throat> so that was uh, that was really cool, and I was directing that. I wasn't acting in it, and I also produced it uh, with my production company uh, called Cosmic Travel Productions. But that was a really cool project to be involved in because a we had a budget, so we were able to like pay for uh, locations, pay for catering pay for equipment and we got the actors involved on the basis of you know we're going to give you a credit and if we get funding to make the pilot we will you know basically speak with the casting director and you'll be able to get an audition to see if you actually can be involved in the pilot episode you know sorry i've just got a frog in my throat now um
1: you're right what's 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 the cuff
0: I don't know, I don't know. hopefully hopefully i'm
1: okay <laughs> it's not it's not what what i think it is, is it? <laughs> i hope
0: i hope that i hope that. <laughs> <not. laughs> and yeah so i don't know i've been really fortunate like I, I love working in production i love making stuff i mean as a filmmaker that's something i'm really passionate about and we love i love producing things and, and bringing things to life this project that we just did was so cool because yeah because we had the budget we were able to get really good equipment And, you know, I put together a really, a really professional crew. Um, So, yeah, really happy with what we've made. We're in post-production at the moment on it. But the initial rough cuts, like, they look so good. They look so, so good. I I mean, I can see, I can see this, I can see this, this show, you know, on Netflix or Amazon or, or Channel 4 or BBC, something like that. It has that potential. The script is very good. It would be a 10-episode t- a ten, ten TV show. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to make sure that we get funding to make, to make it happen, you know, to make it happen. Um, I've been really lucky. Like, I've met in the years that I've been involved in film and production. I've met a lot of really cool people. I've met a lot of connected people, people who are doing stuff out in L.A., in New York, um, in the U.K. So I've been lucky that I've met kind of the right people along the way. Uh, and I've been able to, um, to just take things to, to the next stage where, where they get, they get the uh, attention that they need, you know, like my, uh, my first feature film that I did that I made in 2018, that's now out, that's now coming out, it's coming out in the UK in November, but it's already out in the States on Amazon and on Apple TV, on Google play on YouTube. The funny thing is is that it's, it's one of the most torrented movies at the moment There's <laughs> so many like um there's so many uh, illegal torrents of it online <laughs> which is an indie it's an indie film but i don't know somehow they got somehow they got a copy of the film and if you go on reddit it's been posted like 25 times or something on reddit so it's that's but it, but in a way that's kind of cool because it's it's meaning that it's getting a lot of uh, the trailer is getting a lot of hits, and we're starting to get some good reviews on Amazon and on IMDb. We're actually at seven point five out of ten on IMDb, which is pretty good for an indie film, you know. So, yeah, so that's called Thirty Six Husbands, and uh, that's it's coming out on I think November 9th. In, in the UK. It'll be out probably on Amazon. It's already out on Amazon in the States. Um, and that's really cool. Like I mean I made that two years ago. I was just I was an actor in it and I was also involved in the production. I did like um, I did some uh, some of the some of the boom, some of the sound on it and I also did catering on it. That was really cool to work to work on a feature film and work on the production side of it as well as acting in it. and uh yeah that i mean it was a really big learning curve in that i learned so much about production and i also learned that i wanted to make films that i wanted to be a filmmaker as well you know Um, so five years time definitely working in production hopefully producing hopefully directing and and yeah definitely acting definitely acting in something as well Um, and probably start doing tv here pretty soon i think uh um that's it's on the it's on the vision board do you use a vision board uh
1: okay i do but it's i'm not you i need to i'm i'm making some changes to what i'm doing with it at the moment yeah yes i do
0: nice 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 yeah so it's on my vision board it's on my vision board i've got my uh got some stuff on there and the radio hosting thing just kind of came from nowhere like i've always wanted to work on the radio and yeah, I had it on the vision board for a good while, you know. When I came to London, I put out, like, put out a lot of emails. I emailed, like, BBC, you know, ITV, and um, uh, a lot of other radio stations, like Virgin and... Um, what's that station? Uh, radio X. Okay. It's called Radio X. I-, I emailed loads of places, and I got, like, no replies, you know? And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, and then I was, like, went about my business. I've been working in... I've worked for, been working for Emirates Stadium, as a cashier at a restaurant working in events working as bar staff working as a waiter you know all these kind of sideline gigs to to pay the rent and then yeah just out of the blue got an email from from Relax Radio and they were like oh yeah are you still interested in in the work and I said yeah definitely so now I'm doing an internship with them and it's fantastic like I've already done I've already done six shows interviewed six people I'm on I'm on air like twice a week I'm doing this three-month internship with, uh, with with the promise of a job at the end. So, I mean, I'm still kind of pinching myself over that, you know, like I'm going oh. to be on.
1: You're working for the radio? Yeah. You yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: Nice. <laughs> I don't really know. I quite know how it's happened, but um, yeah. So, I'm doing, well, I'm doing an internship initially for three months. So, I've, I've three weeks done. Uh, but they've said at the end of the three months that they'll offer me a job. So, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, and that's London. That's what I love about London. There's so many opportunities here, to kind of yeah. to do what you want to do if you're prepared to hustle and uh, put the put the put the work in. You know.
1: Yeah, that's the good thing about the West. Um, what's it called? There, are, there are sort of three more questions I'm going to ask you. Okay. And we got a he- I'm going to head off. Of- I've got another interview around one o'clock, but yeah, just three questions. Um, no worries. Who is your hero and what is a quote you'd like to live your life by? And what advice would you give to your younger self?
0: Okay. These are great questions. Great questions. Okay. So who's my hero? I would say my hero in comedy, is probably Billy Conley. Uh, yeah he was probably the first comedian that I just kind of discovered as a child and yeah I, I think he was the first comedian that I actually wet myself like I actually pissed my parents laughing at <laughs> when I was a child. <laughs> yeah so that yeah he's definitely my hero and I think he's done so much for comedy and so much for the art of storytelling in comedy which is something I'm really interested in as a storyteller so. <clears throat> yeah he would definitely be definitely be my um, hero uh what was your other questions
1: <laughs> um what is a quote you'd like to live your life by and what advice would you give to your younger self
0: okay so quote that i live my life by is definitely uh, oscar wilde life is too important to be taken seriously and i think that's uh i think that's a great quote because um yeah when things are really really hard and really really difficult I think it's great to be able to laugh at it, life and great to be able to go out and do some comedy. You know, that's why I love comedy. Cause I think life is hard most of the time, but you know, you got to take the rough with the smooth and you got to be able to go out and just have a laugh and just find the funny, find the funny in the tragedy. I think that's pretty much how I live my life, how I've always lived my life and how I think I always will live my life advice to my younger self would probably be um don't take things so personally you know uh yeah don't take things so personally and keep going it gets better you know i think i when i was younger i struggled a lot especially growing up in ireland it was quite it was quite a rough upbringing in dublin uh just dublin's quite a rough place to grow up in the 90s the 80s i was a teenager in the 90s and uh it was just quite, quite, a, quite a rough place to grow up but i don't know like i mean i no regrets probably made me who i am today but <clears throat> i think I, I would have loved to have said to my kind of 15 16 17 18 year old self don't worry it's going to get easier like you know it's going to get better and keep going and stuff like that Because yeah it was just diff- difficult time difficult time I used to have long hair, <laughs> so I was uh, I was known as a smelly rocker, <laughs> Oh! But then, but then it was okay because the prodigy came out and uh, Keith changed everything, so I'll always be grateful to Keith for that.
1: Keith. <laughs>
0: Keith, give it up for Keith.
1: <laughs> oh, wow, thank you very much, Dominic.
0: Thanks, Amelia, that was great. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Anything I'd like to plug, definitely want to plug some stuff. Yeah, I've got a children's book out at the moment It's called The Secret Words. And it's an empowering book for children to learn about the importance of self-confidence and belief in themselves. So it's called The Secret Words. It's available on Amazon, Amazon Amazon.co.uk. It's also available on the Book Depository. It's also available just online. I've also got 36 Husbands, which is coming out in November on, on Amazon, on Apple, on Google Play, on YouTube movies. So that's an indie feature film, comedy. Also family-friendly, uplifting, feel-good comedy. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my two things. And Relax Radio, if you want to listen to me on relaxed Radio, I've got a show called The Art and Spirituality Show, which is on Monday and Wednesdays. From two p.m. to four p.m., where I interview artists, comedians, actors, writers, teachers, people working in mindfulness, and uh, that's yeah, that's on relax. It's on the Relax Radio app, which is uh, Relax R E L A K S uh, yeah. Radio, and you can get the app. You can just listen to it directly there. We also go Facebook Live as well. If you want to catch us on the on the on the video, and, yeah, I think that's basically it
1: cool well just send me the links in the message and yeah um take care dom and i will see you soon that's been dominic Anglium. i hope you enjoyed it I hope you had some fun and please as again like the podcast give it a view on itunes and share it to your friends see you soon